Ruiz. Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by Funkinsliff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfein, musicologist and author of Everything is on the One, the First Guide of Funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon to pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. Whether you're watching the video version of this at Funkinstuff.net or on YouTube or listening to the audio-only podcast version from providers like iTunes and Spotify, as always, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the show. Speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. All kinds of goodies you'll get, uh, early premieres, and it's all free, so make sure you sign up. Tell a friend, tell family. Also get your official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff gear at the FunkinStuff.net store. Cool stuff like I'm wearing right here, Truth and Rhythm shirts, Show your support and love of the show and also the musicians and the music that they represent. Um, also want to give a shout out to the Funk Exhibition Center and Hall of Fame in Dayton, Ohio, of which I'm very proud to be an official Funk Ambassador. Go to thefunkcenter.org to learn more and keep the funk alive. And now, with all that, it's time to get on with the show. Enjoy. I am pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership, Gabe Gonzalez, a drummer who has performed with Parliament Funkadelic, P-Funk Offshoots, and other artists, as well as recorded his own albums under the group name Enemy Squad. One of his most recent projects was as part of the all-star collective dubbed Detroit Rising with their album, A Cosmic Jazz Funk Adventure. Gonzalez also possesses an encyclopedic knowledge of music that informs his efforts as a remixer and disc jockey, Gabe, a.k.a. the Undisco Kid, a.k.a. Godzilla. How are you, man? Oh, man. Hey, it's good to be here, Scott. Good to have you. And where are you? Uh, I'm in Michigan, Detroit, right outside of Detroit. Yeah. How's uh, it? <laughs> Staying away from people. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of crazy, right? Yeah, super crazy. We'll remember this forever. Yeah, hey, it's definitely give you a lot to think about right now. I know a lot of people ain't gonna take uh, being outside for granted when next time we get to go back out. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but uh, man, yeah, it's wild. I'm just, uh, just trying to get through every day. You know, like it's a mission, but you know. Well, glad you're well. Glad you can join me and. Uh... Uh, Thank you. And the funk helps us get, get through everything, right? Oh, man, you ain't lying. That's got me through my whole life, actually. <laughs> Believe it or not. But you'll find out during this uh, segment. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. So um, let's jump right in. You know, I 
I want to know a little bit about your your upbringing, how you first got into music, and and specifically drums. Well, that's deep. Um, I was born in New York City uh, in 1969, actually February 17th, and um, I didn't know my father, my biological father. I just knew of him. He's Puerto Rican. My mother. I uh, was young, you know, African-American woman. She was 21 and my father was like 39. So well, at least it says that on my birth certificate. So, <laughs> but uh, I just know my mom finished college uh, somewhere around right before she had me at uh, Central in Ohio. And um, after I was born, you know, there was some problems between them, I guess. And, uh, she came back to Detroit where she was born and uh, it was kind of where my whole thing started. You know, I think it's deep that I was born in New York. So, cause I don't really remember that, but I know if I was born in Manhattan actually. So, you know, Manhattan was the, that's where everything is at. So I've always felt like I had a different energy on me uh, all my life. And, uh, you know, I'm blessed to be here like several, like, you know, uh, Thinking back, I had like I think pneumonia when I was one years old, and um, it was pretty bad. I don't remember what happened, but I just heard the stories that they had me like on a block of ice and uh, with a tent over me and whatever, and I had like a fever of 105 almost. So I definitely think I'm blessed and know I'm, I'm here for a reason, and, and um, I think music is my I guess with my name Gabriel and all that I never really read into that a lot when I was younger but I now that I'm older I definitely believe I'm a messenger of, of music and so you know that's pretty much where one of the um sort of started my mother really liked a lot of um you know she she didn't like she wasn't she did like some funk I remember her liking roller coaster by the uh skin tight by the Ohio players like they were more for the norm, but I remember Cedar isn't like uh, like P Funk or Funkadelic or none of that. And I don't think a lot of people's mothers did, but you know, I'm saying come to think about it. But you know, um, she was in the music. You know, she loved Johnny Mathis. She was crazy about him, and you know, uh, you know, a lot of '60s smooth jazz and R&B. And um, I had an aunt who was a drummer. We used to take my mother around with her when she was a little girl. My aunt, her name was Chiquita Bivens, and she was actually a famous drummer. And she played with, uh, you know, the likes of people like Holland Wolf and, uh, you know, John Lee Hooker. She was seriously, like, into the blues thing. And, um, you know, she passed away back in the 90s. I miss my aunt. Uh, she, was, <laughs> she was something, I mean, you know. To me, she was like the Sheila E of the 60s or something because she was popular, you know. She had a Cadillac with her picture airbrushed on the side of it and, um, you know, which for back then, I was pretty, you know, deep. And then um, she had a big house, a big house in Detroit in this area of uh, Boston Edison, which if you know uh, well, Barry Gordy, his house was right down the street. And, and those houses go for like, millions now but you know 20 30 years ago you know the, the neighborhoods were going down but um but anyway you know i just I remember being at her house it was she had a lot of kids a lot of music going on and she gave me my first drums actually 
uh, she had a Gretsch drum set, well, part of a Gretsch drum set up in her attic, which the attic was like a whole another apartment and world in itself. And I would go up there, hang out up there a lot by myself. And I just remember like finding this Gretsch floor time and she got me in the Zildjian. She had Zildjian symbols back in the day. I mean, the real Zildjians, them old school ones, you know, the Avitas, uh, you know, the Art Blakey and, you know, so um, through that, it kind of was a vehicle for me. And I probably was about three or four then. And I remember I always loved music in 45s. I remember being as early as three years old and um, putting um, uh, The Temptations on a, you know, a turntable, you know, the, uh, the old big flip. Didn't remember the ones you could stack them all on there. <laughs> be like when they drop, I just remember being so intrigued. And I was in the, the hallway of, I still remember it was crazy being three and, and uh, putting that on in the hallway of the apartment building and plugging in. I think it was an old turntable. The manager didn't want no more. He gave it to us. And my mother was like, oh, he'll love that. And, you know, I was crazy about records at three. So um, <laughs> that kind of, you know, got me into it. And fast forward and probably to when I was about five. Well, my mother, she she was probably popular herself. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't see her a lot. That's another thing. Like, you know, she left me with my aunt, the one I was just talking about a lot, and other family members. And um, uh, I just remember my grandfather had passed around '72, and um, he was big around town. Um, he worked for UAW and was like a big wig, and uh, he had all the landscaping in Detroit. And uh, I remember one story, like an argument being little, and um, I guess our, uh, Marvin Gaye owed my grandfather a landscaping bill, and he sued him for it, and he ended up winning. But it's just deep. That when you see the shrubbery on that, what's going on, um, my grandfather put that there. So it's funny every time I see that. And I grew up a couple houses or a couple blocks away from that house. So you had in my neighborhood uh Marvin who lived on Ida Drive, which was like maybe five blocks from me, and Smokey lived on Santa Barbara. That was two or three blocks from me. And um you know, it was it was just pretty interesting. And my my mother, this is where it gets deep. Uh she was popular, she liked a lot of jazz. And she was actually a jet centerfold, which I just found that out two years ago, which blew my mind. I'm like, whoa, you know, so I had to wrap my mind around that. But um, she dated, and I found this out from my grandmother, uh, who bought my first pair of drumsticks. And believe it or not, my mother dated Horace Silver, and he proposed to my mother. But she didn't marry him because he was a vegetarian. So, <laughs> you know, and, I, and my grandmother told me that. So, um, but that was pretty deep. I remember these drumsticks. They were premier drumsticks, and uh, it was a little music store. Uh, about a quarter mile down from where I grew up in my neighborhood on um, uh, Livernoy, which is a popular street now called the Avenue of Fashion. But it was a Grinnell's music store, and uh, he got the sticks. Now I remember he they brought me a little drum pad and these sticks, and I didn't know shit about a drum pad. I'm like, what is this? I was drawing on it. I did everything but play because I didn't know what it was. And I just, man, I tried to rip the rubber off, and it was like, man, what is this thing? <laughs> a table weight or something? I just wanted to play drums, and um, I remember uh, 
my godparents getting me my first drum set. It was like a little, you remember those little JC Pennies drum sets in the catalog with the, they look cool as hell, but the fucking heads was just garbage. I mean, it was paper basically. Man, I tore that shit up and did a Keith Moon, and that shit was gone in a day. So that didn't last long. And so they got me a guitar, and, um, you know, I started getting into Kiss and stuff, and I called myself uh, <laughs> setting it on fire or something and burnt the guitar up, trying to pretend like I was, like, uh, Ace Fraley or somebody. I don't know. It was crazy. But, <laughs> but uh, no, anyway, but um, on another sad note, like, so right around that time, which was, had to be around 75, uh, that was a deep year for me musically and crucially. Uh, well, it started like this. I remember Easter in 1975, my grandmother bought me one of those Mickey Mouse plug and play turntables. So I, you know, I finally got my own little record player and I was, you know, you could, you know, fold it up, carry it around. I was in kindergarten around then. And um, my uncle, was a hippie, my my mother's younger brother. And uh, he started me out with music. I remember, you know, I got sick of listening to Peter Pan and all the little bullshit records they give you with it, right? So I was just like, he knew, I guess, my frustration. So I remember him slipping in my room. He would like kind of slip me records without my mother knowing. I guess he didn't want to put the free car out, you know, so. Uh, the first record was, uh, I believe it was uh, Grand Funk Railroad, E Pluribus Unum, maybe, you know, the silver one. And, um, man, that record turned me out. I was like, damn, and I, I was so excited, and I couldn't get enough of it. And I was like, okay, let me get uh, something else. And he ended up one day coming in and giving me another record. That was Sly and the Family Stone's Greatest Hits. Another record that turned me out. I was so turned out on Sly. I really, like, when you see him in that Thunderbird on the cover, I remember, I think I knocked one of my teeth out to try to look like Sly on that album cover, and I would pose in the mirror looking with my old teeth because I think you can notice Sly didn't have a tooth right there. I, I, that's so crazy. I wanted to be Sly Stone so much at five that I knocked my tooth out trying to look like him in the T-Bird and shit, right? You know, so don't ask me. I don't know what the hell, but... So, I guess from there, um, a couple weeks go by, my uncle slips in my room. He's like, here, put this on. They're from outer space. Now, I'm looking at the record, and it's, you know, all these crazy colors and swirls and shit. I'm like, what the hell is this? So, I, you know, like, okay, you know, cool, close my little door, boom. If you will suck my soul, I will look little. I'm like, looking around like, you know, I already knew. Don't ask me how I knew in five. Those were like kind of bad words, but I knew something. It was like almost like I looked around like, damn, what is this? I hope I don't get in trouble. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, next thing I know, um, now nah, I was hooked on that shit, man. It's fucked my life up. No, so, but... <laughs> It was like, man, I mean, literally, I played the hell out that record, man. And um, you couldn't tell me after that. I didn't want anything else. Uh, my uncle would just slip me. And he would never give me the album covers. He would just give me the records. 
And I think the next one probably was uh, Maggot Brain. And another one is just, you know, completely. And I was so crazy. Each Funkadelic record I got, I was talking, I would talk because I don't have my little imagination. I was always isolated anyway. So this shit we dealing with now, I'm used to it, right? You know, so <laughs> I've always been kind of like solo. Just growing up, that's just how I've been. Like, cause I was only child, and you know, you know, people always say those only child jokes, but hey, some people can't help that. They really didn't want to be only children. We just happened to be. So, so I always just been by myself a lot. So I find stuff to entertain myself. So, um, you know, that being said, I just, um, you know, I just really got it heavily into music. It was my escape because, um, uh, after hearing that. And Maggie Brain, all these other things, and you know, I would pretend like these records were like just as your brother. I'm gonna give get another one, and each one was collected. It was like it was crazy. And then like America East is Young, and then Cosmic Slop, and then one day my uncle left, and I went. I started getting like maybe this maybe six seven months later. I was getting older. I started sneaking down in his collection in the basement when he would leave the house. So I started seeing these covers i looked and saw cosmic slop for the first time and i was like it scared me i looked and was like what the hell is that i kind of jumped back and uh you know it was it was deep so but um again like my mother um she was very uh scholastic she was trying to finish her master's degree around that time at 27 so she was going to school and trying to take care of me and um uh, I just remember uh, one day show and tell for kindergarten. Uh, you know, that's where you bring your toy or whatever. You show it off to your class. I brought my record player. And um, my mother, she, I guess I was determined to get that Funkadelic record to school. I, I guess in my mind, I was going hit to hypnotize my class and try to walk out or something. At least that's what I thought. So, But she caught me before I hit the door because I remember the, the van. I can remember this shit like yesterday and I was five years old. So the van came up to get me and uh, I was on my way. And then she was like, what are you doing? You can't take that record. No, you know, she freaked the hell out on me. I'm like, oh, shit, you know, and then, so me and my smart calculated mind at five, I'm like, okay, I run back into the room like, I'll take care of it. I'll get another one. I get my Mary Poppins Chitty Chitty Bang Bang album, which I never listened to that shit. I couldn't tell you what it sound like or nothing. I put it on once and that was it. And I was like, what is this shit? You know what I'm saying? I slipped the Funkadelic album in the Mary Poppins cover and hit it and and I buy my buy whatever. I gotta get in the van. I'm already holding everything up and shit. So I make it to school with this record. Boy oh boy. So you ready for this? So I'm there. I'm, I remember, I'm like setting my little turntable up after the kids show their evil Knievels and all the other little shit. And I'm like, okay, today, class, I'm going to play some music. I'm going to play some Funkadelic. And I already seen the teachers look up like, what, what did he just say? And I dropped the needle on the record. Same thing. If you will suck my... Next thing I know is whoop, whoop, all this noise. And the lady, whoever was the teacher or watching this, she snatched it off the 
the she just just dismantled the whole record player. She just like and next thing I know, I'm sitting in the principal's office at five before I even joined regular school. You know what I'm saying? Because I play a funkadelic. So now where the story gets deep, they called uh my mother and she was pissed the hell off about that. You know, she told me not to bring it and what did I do? Now they calling her in school about this shit. She was mad as hell. So I knew I was gonna get my ass beat. <laughs> I'm like I'm like, oh wow. And made it worse, she sent my my dad to come get me. Well, you know, my dad that I, you know, stepdad who was in my life after uh, my my father. So, and this is where it gets deep. So, he comes to get me. They made me go home that day. I don't even remember finishing school that day. It was that deep about me playing this Funkadelic record. I, uh, we get home and back to my grandmother's house. She didn't know what the hell was going on and. I just remember my father walking me back to the back bedroom where, you know, I, my room was at my grandmother's house. And um, here I'm thinking I'm nervous. Like, he, he had never, like, spanked me or hit me or nothing. So now I'm scared, you know, like, oh, shit, you know, like, you know, I'm going to get my ass beat by my dad. So I'm in the room just kind of looking, sitting there, and then he comes in. He holds up the record. And he's looking at it and reading it. He was like, he just, just looked at me and then looked back at the record again. And he's looking up at it. And he kind of scratched his head and he's looking there. And I'm standing there, well, sitting there and he's standing over me. And then he's like, hmm, George Clinton, George Clinton. And he said, son, I think I know this man. And you shouldn't be listening to this. This is this is whatever. He just said all this deep shit and it was like, and yeah, I know him. He jumps on tables with jock straps on. Now I'm fucking five years old. I don't know what the fuck a jock strap is. Excuse my language, but I don't know what the I don't but whatever it was, I knew it was some lewd or something. Just the way he said it, I knew it was some taboo. Like he jumps on tables with what? You know? He said that. My father said he jumps on tables. And then he tells me, yeah, and I cut a penis and a moon and a star in his hair. My father was a barber. So those early days with George's hair off freaked out at my father. Well, I can't say he did all of them, but he was one of the main barbers in Detroit that cut George's hair. Now, I didn't know that. I had no idea of any of that. So now I'm on even more intrigued, like, it didn't make me stop listening and pull me in even more. I'm like, like, oh, wow, you know what I'm saying? So, but the tragic part is, okay, so a couple months go by, and um, my mother, she ended up having a brain aneurysm, and, and she died at 27. So, yeah, so, like, maggot brain, that shit is real for me. Like, I lived that all my life. People don't really know that. So when I play maggot brain, it's not just playing maggot brain. I put my soul into that shit because I lived that. You know, like I told Eddie Hazel and Michael Hampton that story, and they both just was almost fucked up by it, me telling them, but it's true. But, you know, I mean, I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm over this. It. Things happen. I was just confused for a long time because my family being so young, you know, I guess back then people didn't know how to. Uh, deal with telling a child about uh, grieving or, you know, bereaving and 
And, you know, I was just told, like, oh, you know, your mother went away. You'll see her again and shit like that. And it fucked me up because I thought really I would see her again until when I got a little older and somebody explained, like, you will never see your mother again physically. And, you know, I just made it. It just opened the wound all over again, kind of, you know, for me. Um, But, you know, she she made sure I had those drumsticks. So, you know, that's one thing. Um. I can say, uh, you know, I'm doing, you know, what I want to do and, you know, that's what I've always done, play music or perform music, you know, and, um, you know, it was deep. So I uh, got through that, but P-Funk became an escape for me, actually. Um, literally, it got me through a lot of that shit. Um, and it didn't have nothing to do with George, per se, or... I was a fan of the whole group, like really like Kid Funkadelic and everybody had their personal superheroes in the band. I think mine was Kid Funkadelic, Mike, and we became really close and that's like, he's like, like special to me in a lot of ways, you know, and we're close, you know, I just actually talked to him and he's going to come on and be a guest soon. But, um, so yeah, man, it's deep how, um, you know, that all. You know, it happened. So that's like the first five years of my life right there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wow. wow. That's amazing. Uh, I'm hearing some echo, but amazing uh, common threads, you know, right. that are interwoven through all that with the P. <clears throat> well, you know, I told you my story was going to be, it's going to be some humor in it and it's going to be some sadness. So, I mean, I'm, that's just real, you know, it's, we live it, you know, but, um, I'm blessed, you know, but, you know, but yeah, that's how that went down, you know. So, when you got into your teen years and, and beyond, did you get in and start playing in some bands or how did your drumming progress? Yeah. Um, well, here's the thing. Um. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say around 19. Well, let's back up. Okay, after my mother dies, my grandmother, I go to live with her, and she was pretty open because my grandmother, she was she was real cool. She was southern. She's from Georgia. She's a real sweetheart. Like she uh, she let P Funk rehearse in our house and live with us. Um, people like Billy Bass and Blackbird would call my grandmother and I would never even be around. So that's the dynamic of how close my grandmother and George's uh, youngest son, well, his son then, uh, George Jr., uh, used to live with us as well. And um, we became really close later later down. But uh, thinking about that, living my grandmother, you know, she's well, – my buddy popped up. She <laughs> – she uh, she was just cool, you know. She was open, and you know, uh, she she knew because of my mom passing about uh, you know, little different things to keep me cool, and music she knew was one of them. And um, so like uh, I think I mentioned to you in a conversation. I was having some, well, I was having some problems in school after my mother died because, you know, it was, it was I was traumatic, it, but I didn't know what was going on. And um, I had some behavior issues in school and 
I was bullying kids and I was doing all kind of retarded shit. You know what I'm saying? Busting windows out, school buses, just, just, I was just, I just, it was like a, a lashing out. This is funny. It's one of the songs, right? On the, <laughs> I was lashing out and I didn't, you know, I didn't know. And I was, you know, I was getting older than like six, seven years old. And uh, the next thing I know, I ended up having to go to military school because of it, um, which which was hard for me because, you know, here it was, I already lost my mother, and this school was a boarding school, which meant I could only come home on certain, you know, uh, weekends and days for holidays and stuff. And, um, you know, um it made me grow up quick because I had to, like I said, I had to be on my own at eight years old. Like, literally, it was, I was by myself. And you know, I felt so alone at that point in my life. Like, I was depressed a lot when I was a kid because of that. And um, I kind of got cool with some of the other students because I think we were all young and felt that. Like, why, why are we here? You know, why did our parents send us here and type of thing? <laughs> And, um, you know, I just, uh, I just remember like, uh, getting into music, uh, there a lot more because we, we were, it was just like being in the army. We had to wake up at six thirty in the morning to the, to the trumpet. I still remember that shit. So like yesterday and then the, um, you know, same thing. We'd be in bed with the trumpet, the, you know. And uh, by 7.30 or 8 at night, and I used to mess with my head because I just remember laying in bed sometimes and the sun would be up just starting to set. And, um, you know, here I would be uh, laying in bed. And, and so to this day, I think I, it made me nocturnal and I developed this insomnia for some reason. I just can't go to bed until, you know, I have sleeping disorders and stuff. So, but... I got into drums and which is deep around that same time funkadelic uh and parliament were um going into uh their military thing mm -hmm. yeah uncle jam's army yeah and uh because we um you know we went around and we would march in the morning and we'd do these drills with the rifles and stuff. No, be quiet. Just a dog, gee. So we would do these drills, the Hail Mary, whatever. I still remember that. I was really like into that. It was like, we had to be um, really, um, you know, uh, on our shit, man, or we would get punished. Like, I remember if I didn't make my bed properly and where you could drop a dime on that shit, we would get paddled. So discipline has been like a thing when I was younger. Uh, it was deep, you know, so I got it, you know, even though I didn't grow up with parents, you know, I was disciplined by a lot of people when I was grew up with, you know, one of those situations where, uh, you know, uh, you know, if I got it, then I had to get it from my aunt when I got home and my uncle might give it to me too. <laughs> but you know, uh, I think a lot of people just felt sad because of my mother passing and, um, you know, it was just one of those situations. Um, yeah, military school around 1979. I've been there now 
Uh, I was there in 77, so I think just I was in the fifth grade by that point. And um, it was a talent show. And uh, it was it's like this kid on drums, I still remember his name, Cedric Rucker. And he had a, one of those, it was like a cool cherry red Ludwig Octoplus uh, drum set. And I just remember, like, I don't know how or why I didn't get in stage band in school, but they had one. I wanted to, but I guess, I don't know, my academics probably, because I, I had problems in school focusing a lot, too, because of, you know, just dealing with shit. It's like I was always very good and articulate in, um, in English and spelling, but for math, for some reason, and it goes back to, you know, you know, just personal stuff with my mom the night before she passed. It was just, you know, I ain't going to get into all that. But for some reason, math, I'm, you know, I can add and subtract. I've always been, you know, but just when it got into division and deeper stuff and, you know, later algebra and I just, you know, I just, some stuff I would get right and some stuff I wouldn't. And then, you know, I just, it was one of those things in school for me, so I couldn't concentrate. But um, so these kids in talent show were playing – uh, the cars, uh, is that the cars or Ramones? I don't want you coming here, wasting all my time, whatever. Cars, the cars. And it blew me away. Like, I was in, like, in the fifth grade. It's like, I guess, how when everybody saw the Beatles for the first time or whatever. So, I just remember seeing my first concert in military school at the talent show. And this kid playing the guitar, killing it, singing that. And, and this dude, Cedric, playing the drums, killing it. And uh, I was like blown away. I was like, wow, that's what I want to do. So this had to be around like 77, 78. So around that time as well, my aunt was dating a famous uh, Detroit producer, um, Michael Grace, who owned uh, Sound Suite Studios in Detroit where um you know everybody from one way the sweat band uh a lot of p-funk offshoot projects were done there um just a lot of stuff and i remember he had a um you know full it was like a smaller version of united basically and it was a popular studio um you know five special everybody recorded there and um he dated my aunt at the time my aunt was pretty popular too uh like my mom and was in jet and all that and she dated Don King too, so my my aunt was something else. But uh, she stayed in Cleveland, and she would drive back and forth all the time. And I remember uh, they took us into the studio one time and gave like the family a a, a tour of you know showing us how a recording session you know takes place and you know what happens. And I just remember being like blown away. It was the first place I ever sat behind a full real drum set, you know, uh, it's like a red sparkle slingling. I still remember it. And I was their house kid for years. Uh, it probably was still there up until the building fell apart. But, uh, uh, I remember seeing a session, a guy on a keyboard singing and a girl and, uh, they tracked it, and then I remember, like, two weeks later, you know, I'm at home with my grandmother just chilling, and bam, a song comes on the radio, and I'm just like, oh, wow, you know. I'm telling my grandmother, that's that song when we was in the studio, you know. And I think from that day on, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. I didn't realize, like, the guy that used to babysit me and drive me around, uh, he was capable of doing that. 
and making that happen. So a couple more years go by, maybe a year, and um, military school closes down, and I end up having to come back home, which I was happy about it. So I was like, yay, you know, I wanted to get away. Um, and um, I remember I went to another Catholic school in Detroit, and uh, I met a lot of cool friends here. I think I started my first band or whatever I thought I was doing. I remember buying music paper at the drugstore, like I really knew what I was doing and stuff. But I would draw these, you know, buy these music sheets back when they would come in the spiral, you know, and you know, try to draw shit. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I at least felt like I did. And uh, I had my first band in sixth grade, actually. Uh, which my best player was funny. Ended up playing with Enemy Squad later. I kind of did like a J Jimi Hendrix thing with Billy Cox, and I was like, "Well, let me go back and at least get my my." You know, we had two best players actually, but um, getting back to that era, um, I um, I was really getting into the funk and P funk around that time, which had to be around 1980, and I remember. Uh, you know, ride my bike to the store and just buying records. I remember buying Gary Newman's Pleasure Principle in 79 and, uh, you know, uh, saving my allowance to get knee deep and stuff like that. And uh, it was pretty heavy. And then um, uh, during school, I, um, when I would come home, I would kind of play and practice. There was a guy down the street from me who uh, I would hear him playing the drums in the basement and I would ride my bike and I would get off my bike and park it and go over to the basement window and like, you know, do one of these and stick my head on the window and look down. And I just saw this dude had a badass drum set and was playing like all this funk stuff. And I, and I was like, wow. I'm like, man, one day I'm gonna catch him. So this is my neighborhood. He was my neighbor. And you know, one day I'm riding my bike and I see him out and I finally like conjured up a nerve to say something or strike up a conversation. And tell him, like, hey, man, you know, I played drums a little bit. And my aunt was a drum, you know, whatever shit. I baited him to, to talk to him. And um, he's like, oh, yeah, you know. And he kind of called my bluff and was like, I think maybe a day or two later, I went back by and uh, he ended up showing me his drum set and let me come in. And, man, wow, this dude, uh, he was a pocket funk drummer mainly. But. He was a big Buddy Rich fan. He had met Buddy Rich in high school, and he had Buddy Rich's drum set, whatever that year, that slingling, that model with. But and his name was uh, Jack Rhea, like R H E A, and he would, he would, uh, you know, he had the, the logo like Buddy Rich had, but it was J R on the front of his bass drum. And I swear, I used to well tell Dennis about it. This dude had more Zildjian's than. He had a little five-piece drum set, but it was Zildjian's. I just remember he was buried in cymbals. It was crazy. And it seemed like every week he must have bought a cymbal with. Uh, he worked at the bank back then, and I remember he had to be in his 20s. So, you know, I'm like 10 hanging out with 21, 22-year-olds when I'm 10 because that's just what I did. And um, there was another guy around the corner uh, named Leroy, 
he was a, a drummer too, really uh, big heavy set brother. He was into a lot of reggae and um, P funk and and just funk and fusion. And he was a little more advanced than Zach. And then I started hanging out with both of them, and they started hanging. Well, actually, I think I brought them together. I think I remember telling. Leroy one day, like, same thing, riding my bike and hearing him, and I got up there and heard him. I was like, man, this guy, Jack, you got to meet him. He's got, you know, this drum set. And I remember some nights they wouldn't let me hang out because I just wanted to so bad. And I was just too young. And then they was like, nah, you can't hang with us, man. You know, you still, you know. And I was like, ah, you know. So, but anyway, I learned a lot from both of them uh, as far as my pocket and playing, like, um, the first song I ever learned to play drums to was Give It To Me Baby by Rick James. I still remember that kick, the first eight. <laughs> that was the first song, and it was Jack, the guy I was just talking about, who he started making me play the records because, um, you know, I didn't really know too much, and I really couldn't play as good. I, when he put me on there, I probably was nervous and all those other things. He was like, oh, you can check out my drum set. Now, here I am behind his badass kit, and I was like, I just climbed up. Like, like oh, shit. You know what I'm saying? But uh, eventually, I got comfortable, and um, I started playing a little bit. And um, the story gets deeper here. One of my neighbors rode a unicycle and he would hang with the ADC band. I know you know about them, Long Stroke and all those funk songs. It was, they were also in my neighborhood too. So he was my buddy. He was an older cat named Fred. I still remember him. He rode a unicycle. And back in that time, a lot of the bands in, in 79 were doing stage gimmicks, as you know, like, you know, P-Funk with the midgets and Deanie Who and all this stuff disappearing. And... Everybody was trying to make their stage act bigger, so they cluttered the stage with just all kind of unnecessary shit, you know? So they wanted my boy to ride a unicycle on stage, you know, around them. And he was telling me that's who he was going to, uh, he was about to go see them. And I was like, ah, oh, man, let me tag along. So I'm still riding my bike. And this is around 1980 as well. And... Uh, I ended up riding my bike over to their house. And um, I just remember this big trailer camper thing in the driveway. And uh, uh, going in the basement and just seeing like all oh, this equipment, this big keyboard rack and rig from hell with Mike Moneystone. And yeah, the braids and extensions. I Back then, I was the time everybody was doing that then. And the rest of the band, um, Kaya was there. Their mother, Johnny Mae Matthews, she used to babysit me and give me lunch every day in the summertime with one of their other sons. So it's funny, I can say, like, who can say that? Johnny Mae Matthews used to babysit me. That's pretty crazy. So, uh, but anyway, um, I was hanging with the ADC band through my friend. I got cool with them. I don't even think or know if he ended up riding a unicycle with them or not. I think he went to the army after that or got drafted or something was going on. And um, I remember uh, sitting in and jamming with the ADC band when I was 10 years old. Like literally 
jamming with them in the basement. So that's my first, I guess, introduction, you could say, into the music uh, business was that. When I, well, you know, into music was playing with them at 10 in the basement, jamming with Money Stone and some of the other guys. And, ooh, man, that's crazy. That was actually. Did you know? Did you know they had had a major hit and all that by then? Yeah, uh, in the moonlight was out. I didn't. I knew about Long Stroke, but at that point, that was kind of old to them. You know, they was they had moved on from that. So, and I remember first hearing it and thinking it was Parliament. Yeah, a lot of people did. Yeah. And uh, my Money Stone, I know he worked with Eddie Hazel and worked with Parliament. You know, he was on my radio show. Uh, I owe him a lot. I always thank him because he gave me that first shot and uh, to like let me know, hey, you can really do this. You know what I mean? Uh, and at ten, you know, you know, when you're ten, you're at that impressionable age. You know, like everything around you, you know, well, at least I am anyway. I'm a sponge to everything. You know, so, but um, <laughs> that that got got me like you know going like I was. I was I was into it, you know what I mean, and um, I think that's when I started tried to start my own band. After that, uh, in sixth grade, and uh, getting you know more into that, and then um, fast forwarding, um, I was in eighth grade. I think now this probably had to be like. 82, 83, I kind of like put the drums down because, you know, at that time, you know, I'm a teenager, you know, video games kicked in, a puberty and all this other stuff. So I, you know, it didn't really jump off. I guess my biggest frustration, I guess, when you're a kid and you and you play music at that at so young age, you have to have other mutual kids to play with or have an outlet. I think a lot of young kids get bored of putting down an instrument because they just get tired of just jamming or playing by themselves and to records. But one thing I can appreciate about uh, my other instructor, Jack, who got me to playing the records, <clears throat> it um it helped my tempo um, tremendously because I was playing a lot of Parliament, in which I didn't know. I just had a natural ear. I didn't really know what I was doing, you know. So. Uh, fast forward to like about 83, I had a kid in my class, Brian Banks, and um, you know how you have a friend, you know, in school that you come home, maybe talk to on the phone or something, you know, during those ages, during those times, you know, you just, you know, just talk about shit in class. Oh man, did you see so-and-so's shoes today? Or, or Sally, man, did you see that, man? She had her hair, you know, whatever. So me and my buddy Brian are just talking and shit, you know, kicking it. And um, I hear this noise in the background. And it's kind of him noodling around while I hear a guitar. And um, it was pretty, it was like, whoever it was, hey, I'm like, hey, man, you know, what is that? He's like, oh, man. He was like literally on the phone while he was talking to me playing the guitar. I mean, this kid was like, like that talented. Like whatever we were talking about, it he was like playing something completely different from whatever the hell we was even talking about. And it happened to be, this is gonna trip you out, he was playing Cindy Lauper, Girls Just Wanna Have Fun. And I just remember him playing that shit, but like playing it, like for real, like playing the chords and like, 
I'm like, damn, dude, you play the guitar? And he's like, oh, man, yeah, my older brother can really play, da, 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 you know. And uh, I thought a couple times, I didn't believe him. I'm like, man, that's your older brother in the background. That's not you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was spoofing him like, that ain't you, because he played Maggie Brain one day, or at least he attempted to, and he was close, but fast forward into that later. But um, so... Uh, I remember telling him, well, hey, man, hold on. I got some drums downstairs. I ain't played them in years. Let me go get them, right? So I run down into the basement and dusted, you know, my drums was all whatever. I was using them for tables, whatever. They hadn't been used in a couple years. I bring them up into my bedroom. I set the bass drum up against the wall like a gong bass and probably a snare and something else, a hi-hat. So I get back on the phone and I'm like, yo, play that again, you know, and then and then I'm like banging with him and he's like, what is that? And I'm like, oh man, you know, my drums. And he's like, so literally I was already doing my cyber, uh, you know, Alexander Bell phone, uh, you know what I'm saying, sessions back then before Tiny Desk and all that. I'm trying with my buddy to, hey man, I'm a jam with you on the phone, you know, literally. And, and we did that in eighth grade. Like it had to be 80, 83. And then um, Prince came out with Irresistible Bitch. And that floored me because I remember being a really into Prince at that time. And I remember him, well, I remember hearing that drum solo on Irresistible Bitch, which was probably the first drum solo I ever learned or learned how to drum, do a drum solo was off of that. And, uh, man, incredible, just incredible. I started, like, I got that record. I remember buying 12 minutes and I'm starting, I'm playing to it in my bedroom. I finally, um, one of my uncles was a keyboard player. Excuse me. And he uh, he had a, um, I think it was an RMI, one of them Yamaha electric pianos, like the first Univox. It was one of those, like, you know, the stand-up tabletop keyboard with the little switches on it. And uh, he had uh, his church choir. Um, it's probably, I was about 14 then. I think I ended up, uh, getting with him and doing one of my first shows at 14, my first performances with his church. And I remember we was rehearsing. And, but I remember really, he borrowed my foot pedal for some reason. Cause he always had instruments. Cause when I go to my cousin's house, you know, he had, uh, he had all kind of stuff. Just, um, uh, you know, uh, guitar amps, uh, probably a bass was around. So it's just a few different things because, uh, you know, my family was just into music. And um, I just remember, um, you know, working with him a lot and having to call him be like, man, I need that foot pedal back, man. I'm starting to play drums again. And uh, he ended up bringing it back. And he was like, well, hopefully this time you really stick with it. Da, 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 da. And, you know, I kind of did. And... Uh, I remember my father, my stepdad, the one back well, earlier I was talking about who was still a barber. He took me to the music store and um, bought me some drum heads. And, um, well, my first drum set, the guy Jack I was telling you about with the Buddy Rich kit, he had a piece of raggedy drum set that he was going to throw away. And I'm thinking, like, throw away? Well, I was like, dude, I'll take him. You don't have to throw nothing away. I, I, you know, 
And uh, literally, this is this is funny. This part, I like so. I'm leaving, and here I'm coming up the street. You know, my mom, my grandmother, who I call my mom, she could see me coming. You know, like half a mile up the street. Now I'm riding on my ten speed. And he was the time it was just shells, and I couldn't carry him all because I was making sure I didn't have to come back. I slipped the bass drum around my body, like all you could see was like this part of my head sticking out, and drums like I'm riding around looking like the Michelin Man or some shit on my bike. Coming home, right? My mother sees me coming the street, like what in the hell? She didn't know what it was, and I'm like I'm you know coming. I got these three shells wrapped around me, like literally bass drum, floor time, top time. It may have been a snare. It may have been four drums, four drums, literally. And, but none of them had heads. So I'm, you know, like, literally coming down the street, like, with this shit on my... Uh, yeah, it was that deep. So I set them up and just looked at them for a while, for weeks. It was just... I would just... I used to set set drums up and was just... I used to do that all the time, just set my kit up and just different variations and, and just sit there for hours and just look at it and just... I don't know why I would do that, but it's just... I was into that, you know? It was like really something to me to do that. But um so anyway, fast and forward, I uh I uh stage band, well, I ended up going to public school for the first time in ninth grade. Um I ended up getting kicked out of copter school because me and the nuns, we just inside the eye and they were being real abusive and like they were really beating me up. I mean, I was doing a lot of crazy shit too, but but a lot of their outcome was just extreme, just unnecessary measures. And I think I told you the thing about I had to write one of the punishments I had in school was I had to write uh the states and capitals. Like all the, we had to write to all the fifty states and capitals, just one teacher, Mr. Felthaus. I'll never forget his name. He was he reminded me of the guy on Family Guy. He looked like that dude, Mr. Felthaus, right? He had the punishment where if you talked or got out of line, you would have to write the 50 states and capitals. I think I broke the record for the school history because the punishment was five, I think five times was the most. He pissed me off one day. We just kept going at it. And I was like, I don't care. Fuck you. Oh, I didn't say that, but whatever. I was just anti and like, I don't care. Uh, whatever. Give me a hundred. What? And he's like, all right, 50. So literally, I had to write the states and capitals 50 fucking times, man. My hands cramped up so bad. Like, it was just fucking bullshit. And then I couldn't concentrate on getting any schoolwork done because they had me doing these bullshit punishments on the side. So it was just fucked up. You know, my, you know I just know that, you know, my mother spent all this money for me to go there and she probably didn't know all that was going on, but um, but you know, anyway, I got him back though. I remember going back to that school. I think when they were still open years later in the in the nineties after I toured with P Funk, and I and I saw him one day. I was like, "Hey, you remember me?" And he kind of like pulled his glasses up and was like, "I think so." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm so and so. You remember me? You gave me the fifty states and capitals," and he laughed it off. And I'm like, "Thanks to you." And I was like. And uh, I can laugh about it now because I actually been to all those 50 states and capitals, <laughs> which was true. You know, my first tour with P-Funk, I got to see, like, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina, and all these places I was writing down and, you know, capitals of cities. And, you know, it's just it was deep. 